Hello, and welcome back to The City Speaks. I'm Spark City, and this is my podcast, episode three. This one's going to center around Grift in the content creation community and the relatively new ad incentive program that Twitch is running. So recently, I was invited to and attended uh, a Twitch partner seminar. I've been invited to a few of these since my t- since my time being partnered. I've been partnered for about a year and a half now, and so I've been invited to maybe half a dozen to a dozen of these, and this is the first one I've gone to because they had a speaker that I've been following for years, Doublelift. He's a former North American League of Legends champion, one of the best homegrown talents that League has ever seen, and I've been following his career basically since the early 2010s, uh, and he's been an inspiration to me in, in many ways, not in League of Legends because I am trash at that game and don't play it, but in terms of his work ethic and his, his way of thinking about things, I've found it very influential. But as for the seminar, the reason I haven't really gone to any up to this point is because they tend to feel pretty weird to me. I get a weird vibe from that kind of event. It, it feels very much like, you know, your typical networking style event that you see in the business world, um, where everybody, you know, goes and, and rubs elbows and hands out their business card in hopes of meeting somebody who's going to further their career. These networking style seminars or these, you know, fireside chats, whatever they want to call them, they kind of feel the same way. But I decided this time I would attend. And so this was a, a Zoom meeting, my first ever Zoom meeting, actually. Never, never done a Zoom meeting in my life because I haven't been in the traditional workforce in the last two years. Um, and it was live, ch- uh, and it had live chat along with it. So it was basically kind of like watching a Twitch channel where you know you had the the content going on, and then you, as the spectator, were able to interact via the chat window. So through the first portion of our seminar, our host Lily, who is great by the way, uh, basically interviewed Doublelift, asking about his approach to various things like streaming in general, sponsors, etc. Um, and she had a lot of great questions that were tailored to double lift. It didn't feel like, you know, your typical, like, this is what we ask every speaker at these seminars thing. It was very much, you know, she or whoever put the event together, did their research, you know, found questions that were specific to double lift and, and tried to isolate his experience. Um, and it was funny because, you know, I, when I got invited to this and I heard that they had double lift on, I was sort of thinking like, man, it, it, he's a little bit too honest for an event like this. Like a lot of the time you expect to hear the typical stuff um, that you would hear in any kind of YouTube video or any kind of educational material about how to grow your stream or whatever. Um, and he's not really like that. So I was kind of, I was kind of interested and it turns out, you know, I was, I was, I thought that the host Lily was going into damage control with some of his answers, but it turns out she said later that they had him on intentionally because they figured he would provide a different uh, perspective. And I really respect that as an approach because obviously it's very easy for somebody to come up and say, you know, here's what I did. It's always going to work. Uh, when you hear that from the same same people all the time and it's the same methods every time or, you know, whatever, uh, it can get a little bit brainwashy, I think. So it's nice to ha- nice of Twitch to put together these events that have different perspectives from different creators with different journeys because at the end of the day, we all have different journeys on this content creation road. Um, so afterwards, after that first section, there was a second section where we went into, they called them breakout groups, and we split up into groups of five that were just randomly assigned. We each had our own chat room where we could voice chat with each other. And they gave us a a set of three questions to answer. Um, And it was remarkable to me, uh, the first two people who went in my group who spoke, I was the third, uh, the first two people who spoke in my group basically immediately dismissed Doublelift's experience because it it didn't line up with the narrative that they wanted to have for their stream. There was a lot of, both of them mentioned like, well, he's not really the best person to speak on this because he kind of just got lucky, you know, like he happened to be an amazing League of Legends player that managed to parlay that into a successful streaming career during and after his pro career in League. Um, 
And that that all would that to me is is very it's a very weird way of looking at it because and it kind of highlights the problems with a lot of these like generic events where, you know, you get advice and you learn how to network and you learn how to grow your stream and all this stuff. It always weirds me out to hear because, you know, like you didn't see the thousands of hours he put into his craft to become the best in the world. You didn't see that journey to exceptional that he took. You know, obviously I'm a little bit biased because I respect him a lot as a competitor and uh, and a content creator. Um, but I, like I said, I've been following this guy since the the early 2010s when league really began and he is he worked his his ass off to get to where he was in league and then as a result of his prowess in league he attracted an audience because wouldn't you know it people generally prefer to, especially in a competitive forum prefer to watch the exceptional player rather than the mid-range player nobody's gonna watch me play league i'm a friggin' silver support main you know like I, i'm not a good league player so why would somebody watch me if you ask the question why would somebody watch this person in the in most cases for large profile streamers there's a very clear answer you know it's what it's their personality or this that or the other thing or their skill at the game that they're playing you know there's many many different things but to discount his experience and to say that he he's not a great speaker on the topic of growing your stream because he just got lucky it really blows my mind uh it, it blew my mind to hear two people from like opposite ends of the spectrum say that you know there was one guy who was in the league sphere so to discount double experience as lucky seems a little bit I don't know. It just seems very like a very closed minded position to take on it. Um, because yeah, no, he didn't do the classic, like had to network and had to, you know, sponge viewers off of other people. He just was really good at something. And as a result, you know, and league got to be the massive esport that it is and really cemented esports as a, as a culture in a lot of ways. League of Legends was a really big early example of that relatively early. I know that the StarCraft people are going to be like, well, we've actually been doing it thing since the 90s or the early 2000s. But, you know, as far as esports e hit in the mainstream, early 2010s, you know, the idea of making a living playing video games other than being in like COD MLG or something was not a very common thing. And now look at all the esports popping up everywhere. You got shooters, you got MOBAs, you got Rocket League, whatever the hell Rocket League is. You got so many different ways to do it. And League of Legends was one of the first in, in this era. So to... So obviously, you know, a guy puts in thousands of hours, makes himself the best, the best player that North America has ever seen uh, as far as homegrown talent is concerned. You know, that's it's arguable, but it's he is easily in the conversation for top three all time N.A. talents. Um, and then to say like, oh, yeah, I mean, he just got lucky because like, you know, it just so happened that what he was good at got him famous. And it's like, well, well, yeah, that's most of it. Right. Like. And the and sort of something that leads into this was Doublelift's view on streaming is more of an additive. It's more of a side thing you do. He his his approach back in the day was, well, I'm going to be playing League ten hours a day anyway, so I might as well throw the stream on, you know. And it was interesting to me as somebody who's just a straight up streamer and doesn't really do anything else. That kind of was what I did with Fall Guys, but not intentionally. Like I was going to be playing Fall Guys a lot, but I was also a full time streamer at the time, so it made sense. Those two kind of went hand in hand, or hand in glove, as my Brits say. Um, so I think there is like definitely a portion of luck there, you know, because you can look at other streamers who, you know, will get thousands of viewers playing an incredibly old Nintendo 64 game. Um, and they were not playing that game for as long as they did and as much as they did to get as good as they did for the fame. They weren't sitting there thinking like, "Ooh, this is going to make me some money. And I think this is kind of the kind of where my idealism and hobbyistic approach to streaming clashes with the more corporate minded business oriented uh, format that we're sort of finding ourselves in as we'll talk about later 
Um, but it, yeah, to, to, to classify his experience as he got lucky and then dismiss basically his entire, his story and, and all the answers that he gave and say like, well, they don't really apply to me. Cause like that, I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. So, uh, and it's one of those things where you kind of look at that and you're like, so you're just discounting tens of thousands of hours of work this guy put in, you know, and speaking as somebody who, who had a rather large viewership, you know, hundred, 150 concurrent viewers and is now down to 15 to 20, uh, I am kind of an expert at fumbling the bag and not doing a great job of parlaying my momentum as a streamer. Whereas you look at somebody in the Fall Guys community like Drew Crew, who was, you know, now is one of the biggest Fall Guys players ever. And it, it would be easy to look at Drew's experience and be like, well, he just got lucky because like Courage JD chose him out of everybody. And it's like, my man put in so many hours. He grinded the game as hard as anybody. He was way more entertaining to watch than your average grinder, your average solo solo main show grinder, speaking as somebody who, you know, made their bread solo grinding. He was definitely like, he's always been a go-to of mine to watch if I wanted to be entertained watching Fall Guys, you know? And then on top of that, he's family friendly. He's super positive without jamming it down your throat. Like it's, he's a very inclusive guy. He can make anything funny and anybody feel at home in his stream. So no, it wasn't luck. Of course, getting found by somebody is is always going to have an element of luck but the the saying the harder you work the luckier you get it's not like oh i worked hard so my luck stat increased it's oh i worked hard so i opened doors to have opportunities and of course some of these are luck based courage could have found somebody else but he didn't and drew put himself in that position and i think that's incredible so to to take somebody's hard work kind of reminds me of like those facebook pages you know where people were like oh you know the i fucking love science facebook page if you'll pardon my language that's what the page was called. And the whole thing was like, oh, I love what science produces. And it's like, well, you don't like science then. You know, you like the result of science and we all do. We all benefit from it every day. But to say like, you don't, you wouldn't want to watch somebody in a lab eight hours a day for like six years with no guarantee that they were ever going to discover anything. You like the end result of science. You like looking at double lift and saying, oh, I just got lucky. You didn't see the thousands of hours he put in. So, I, you know, it, it was weird to watch people who were ostensibly at the seminar to listen and learn just immediately hear a message they don't like, which is, I, I worked hard to be exceptional, and then I was exceptional, and I reaped the benefits for being exceptional, and then take that as being like, no, no, it doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not a, that's not a reliable strategy. Working hard, mm, not reliable. It's super weird. Um, it felt like they didn't want to hear that being exceptional takes a boatload of work, and being exceptional is also a big draw to your stream. But anyways, so afterwards we had a Q&A session and the subject of collaborating came up. And this is where the kind of grift mentality that I try to avoid uh, really reared its its uh, very ugly and low effort head. So Lily asked Doublelift about his approach to collaboration. The question was, you know, how do you view collaborating with other streamers as, as a method of growth? And obviously everybody in chat is treating this as though like they're going to meet Doublelift after. And if, if they say something, he's going to notice and be like, wow, this person really gets it, blah, 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 blah. So the chat is just pre-firing his answer being like, oh my God, you know, collaborating is everything. You know, it's, it's, it's so good. It's win-win. Everybody wins. Everybody gets bigger. You know, it, it's great growth strategy. You know, I love collaborating, blah, 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 blah. So then Doublelift actually gets to answer and he's like, well, I, it's, it's tricky, right? Because everybody has a range, you know, everybody whines about big view, big streamers not collaborating with little streamers but then if you look at small streamers you know somebody like me and fall guys where i had 100 150 people there everybody has a range below that where they won't collab like it's it's tricky you know you're throwing your hat in the ring if you go with a one to three viewer streamer and as somebody who's rated many one to three viewer streamers in in my time you don't know if they're what their personality's like you don't know if their mic's even on if they're paying attention how professional they are it's tricky 
you know, and so collaborating with somebody like that is a similar uh, piss in the wind, you know, throw your hat into the ring and hope it doesn't get stamped on. Um, so he was like, it's hard not to make it feel transactional, you know, because if you just have somebody on your stream once, what is the point of that? The message you're kind of sending is like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just hoping that I can expose myself to your viewership and then hopefully sponge a few viewers, you know. He he said the the emphasis should be more on making friends, not not collaborators. Like it's too business like that way. It's too impersonal and and cold. And streaming is not an impersonal or cold business. It is on the <laughs> on the monetization side, as we'll get in later. But in terms of networking, networking should not be cold. It should be organic. Um, and so after everybody in the chat pre-fired his answer, you know, saying how great collaboration was, and he says, no, no, I don't, I don't really think so. Like you want to try and make friends with people, the people you would want to hang out with outside of stream and game with outside of stream. It needs to be organic. Everybody's like, oh yeah, no, collaboration's terrible. Like it's so sleazy. You know, everybody's just trying to step on everybody else. And it's like, guys, you're, you're pre-firing his answer in the chat in the hopes that he'll notice you and call you out and say like, oh, look how great this person is. But then you're going to flip-flop and assume he's not going to see the... It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. Like, what are we doing here, guys? Stop. Just listen. You're here to listen. You know, it's... They say it's a fireside chat, but it's a chat between Doublelift and the host. And <clears throat> the Q&A questions are selected from a form that we all filled out. It wasn't... It wasn't like everybody shouting out questions and then they just picked one, like a Twitch chat. They, they submitted a... For, or they had a form and you could submit your question and they might pick it. And there were like three questions that they picked. So it's it's really... It's really sad to see because it's, you know, you're just trying to impress the guy. You're not even there. What are you there for? You're not there to learn. You're there to try and get on this guy's good side or what? And then, to, you know, compound this at the end of the session, Lily and Doublelift signed off and Lily said, okay, we're going to leave the chat open if any streamers want to connect with each other. And immediately, like as, as though it was, you know, we all got Mancurian candidated, Manchurian candidated, as though we all got brainwashed and, and, you know, sleeper cell activated. Everybody just starts vomiting their Twitch link into chat. That's it. You know, there was no discourse. There was no nothing. Everyone's just spamming their, their you know, and it, that's why I mean, it has the same type of networking event feel like that you see in the business world where you just go in and everybody's, you know, trying to get close to the speaker of the seminar or rubbing elbows and passing out their business card and, and then going home and sitting by the phone waiting for somebody to call them. It's like, it's, it's low effort and it's shallow and it's, it's not inherently bad. Like, obviously you're going to try to meet people in a certain way and maybe people are socially awkward, but to see, you know, 55 plus grown adults do this kind of behavior that's super low effort and shallow and, and doesn't actually get you anything because everybody's just there for the same thing. And if everybody's there for the sake of networking, it kind of falls apart. It doesn't, I don't think it really works. And these are points I made in a YouTube video I made in 2020 called Check Your Privilege Streamers. It's on my YouTube, Spark City. Check it out if you want. This is the kind of stuff I, I railed against and Doublelift's point of like, it be, has to be organic and it has to feel organic is a point that I made in that video. And, you know, my my thinking has probably been influenced by listening to him over the past 10 years about certain things. There's one uh, key mantra that I have. I was watching him early in 2012 and he was playing League. It was just a random stream, random throwaway comment. I was watching one of his VODs and he said, if you die in League of Legends, man, you have to realize 99% of the time it's your fault. There was something you could have done better in that situation the trap people fall into is everybody blames their teammates and so you see this exact kind of behavior lateral application of this thinking and this this mindset when people bitch about discovery on twitch and when people bitch about uh you know like what twitch is doing and things this that and the other thing it's like i don't know guys there's you shouldn't be worrying about that because most people 
are either doing the same thing somebody else does or they're, you know, or they're doing just sitting in front of their camera playing a video game. And I'm, I'm no, I'm no different. That, that is what is hurting your discoverability. The fact that you can't present something unique and exciting or exceptional and or exceptional out, out of the gate. That is what is limiting your discoverability the most, I think. And even if Twitch's discoverability is terrible, you can't control that. You can start your hashtag on Twitter and eventually the, they might listen. You can use user voice. That's great. Go ahead. But in the meantime, venting on social media is not going to help. And there are things you could be doing. There are things we all could be doing. And this is where we get into sort of like a tricky growth of the stream is such a tricky topic because it, it's, it amazes me how many people, and I'll, I'll go into this again a little bit later with our next topic of the Ad Incentive Program, but it amazes me how many people are not willing to put in more than 40 hours a week for this. I'm not celebrating hustle culture. I'm not saying Sigma male grind set, blah, 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 blah. But man, if if you want Twitch to be your only source of income and you're not willing to work more than 40 hours a week, like that's, you know, stream whatever and then, you know, whatever else you want to do, diversify your content, get on other platforms, grow your social media presence, all that shit, all the buzzwords you're going to hear in every video. If you're not willing to do that more than 40 hours a week, it's going to be really hard for you to make it. This is the kind of thing where, and I said this in my video in 2020, before I even, before my channel experienced any kind of success, when I was a three to five viewer person, uh, you will struggle with that mentality if you are not willing to put in the work. This is a kind of a field, just like in any entrepreneurial endeavor, where you are not guaranteed anything. Your effort put in versus, you know, value extracted in terms of money is not one-to-one. -one. It's And it never will be until you get super massive and then you can put in zero effort and still get value out of it. Um, and then, you know, you, you just ride that wave for a few years and then you're good to go. But I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's really... I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It. I don't think it's really realistic to think, yeah, I'll just clock in, clock out at a job that requires you to do so much more than just clock in, clock, just show up. You know, we're, we're, we're contractors for Twitch. They don't owe us anything. So when people talk about, you know, streamers unionizing every, every few months, there's a call for streamers to unionize. And it's like, what would that do? What would that give us? It wouldn't do anything for us. Like the, this industry isn't for the faint of heart. And I don't mean to shame anybody in that, but it's, you know, you watch people be like, well, I'm a dad, so I can't do, you know, I can't stream, I can't stream 40 hours a week because I'm a dad. It's like, well, what? Like, I don't understand. You'd be working and commuting regardless, which would be way more than 40 hours a week. You know, you have your 40 hours of work at a nine, at a typical nine to five in the Western world, at least. And then you have your commute, which could be anywhere from 15 minutes to, to an hour each way. And you can't stream 40 hours a week because you're a parent? I don't get it. Why Why is this your sole source of income then? Why is this what you chose to do? Because you chose to stream. Nobody forced you. Nobody handcuffed you to your, to your computer with a, a gamepad in your hands or a mouse and keyboard on your desk and were like, stream, dance, monkey. I, I, don't, I don't really get it. This is a completely voluntary exercise we're all doing. It's crazy to me how many people have gone from like in, in five to 10 short years from like, holy shit, I can make a living playing video games to ugh, I shouldn't have to do this much to, to make a living playing video games. It makes me sad, you know? The cream never rose, or for the most part, the cream rarely rises to the top just by pure luck. There's always, there's mostly always something involved. There's me not using always or never, trying not to. It's very rare to see somebody who got to the top without being exceptional in some way. 
Um, and of course, everybody's you know definition of exceptional is different. Some people are just incredibly good at capitalizing on social momentum. That's something I'm terrible at capitalizing on. But people who know how to farm drama and know how to farm reactions and stuff like that, that's an art form in and of itself. And for me, that's grifty, but that's just because it's not my kind of content. Maybe my style of content of just playing a game and having fun is uh, is old hat. Maybe it's obsolete now when you need to be on top of everything and have the strongest opinion and support everything and I don't know, maybe maybe just the classic Twitch stream of like, hey guys, I'm going to play a game and I'm going to be good at it. Maybe that's not enough anymore. I don't know. It was for me with Fall Guys, but who knows, man? It's hard to say. So speaking of growth and all that good stuff, kind of got off track there, but now we're going to talk about the Ad Incentive Program. So Twitch recently launched this program. I think it's all for all partners now and maybe some affiliates, but I think it's mostly partners where they're trying to get people to show more ads. Um, and if you were around on YouTube in the late 2000s, when it was just starting to become a platform monetized, and the early 2010s, um, you are justifiably probably pretty wary of a platform incentivizing more ads. Um, because the way that it worked on YouTube was ad money was nuts. Pre-20, God, when was the adpocalypse? 2012, I want to say, but I might be wrong about that. Early 2010s, right? There was the adpocalypse. But pre-adpocalypse, you know, there's, there's, I've listened to YouTubers be like, yeah, I made a two-minute video and it blew up and got several million views and I was able to afford a car. You know, maybe not new, but, you know, thousands of dollars from one two-minute video. You know, that think about that shit. And now it's like you look at the monetization for shorts and you look at the amount that people are getting for anything less than hundreds of thousands of views and it's not, not livable. And so that's what I worry about when I see... Twitch with these ludicrous offers to people like I get it's based on CCV and it's very automated right now. There's not and it's brand new. So there's a lot of (laughs) kinks to work out in the algorithm, I guess. But you see some people and they're like, show six minutes of ads per hour, which is a lot like that's 10% of your stream. And and some viewers, I don't think realize that. But then you make 44k US a month or 20k US or 10k US a month, 10k US a month. That's 120k per year. There's no way that this is sustainable. I, I'm what I'm very well, there might be a way, I don't know. But if we know big companies, and we've seen this in the past with stuff like YouTube and things like that, it will start off very lucrative. People will build it into their budgets for themselves and their monthly income because it is a way for creators to get guaranteed stable income, which is very, very valuable because we don't have any stable income per se. And then what's who's to say they're not just going to pull the chain you know yank us right back and say like all right well so last month we offered you six minutes of ads you had to stream 160 hours and uh, we'll pay you 44k now you have to do 15 minutes of ads you have to stream 200 hours and we'll offer you 5k what's to stop them from doing that it happened with youtube essentially not exactly in the right in the same way because it's not live content i think it presents a very at least on the day-to-day, it presents a very interesting challenge for creators uh, because how do you go about shaping your content around this? Now you have to think about, am I structuring my content around ads? Most streamers are taking advantage of uh, subscribers getting free ad-free viewing. I am. I know most creators are because obviously, you know, these people are these people are spending money to support you. You don't want to be like, all right, cool. So I just need more of that. So thanks. Um, I think it's really great that a lot of big creators, big and small creators across the spectrum are being open and transparent with their offers and showing each other their offers. Because if you don't, Twitch isn't going to, and nobody's going to know what anybody else is doing and how anybody else is doing, how they're being treated relative to anybody else. And I think that's very important. 
So I'm glad that people are doing this as much as it pains me to watch somebody be like, I can't justify running six minutes of ads per hour on my, on my stream. Uh, so I'm just going to turn down this 20 K like, man, that's, I, I respect it because you're doing that out of principle, but man, <laughs> that, that is, woo. You want to just, Hey, Twitch, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. Six minutes of ads, 90% of my viewers are subscribers anyways. And with that kind of money, I can gift everybody else subs and still make 15 K plus. I don't know. Obviously, I wouldn't get that because CCV and stuff, concurrent viewership. When I say CCV, it, it stands for concurrent viewership, which is, you know, you're, if I say I'm a 15 to 20 viewer streamer, that's usually where my viewership sits for a stream. That's what that means, concurrent viewership. Um, sorry, I, I apologize if I keep using jargon here. I'm, this is stuff I've been reading, so it's all in my head. So the other thing is for small streamers especially, we talk about discoverability and Twitch is, you know, everybody flames Twitch for having bad discoverability. Ads will definitely hurt. Um, a small streamer, especially because a big streamer is being recommended. You know, I, when I was playing fall guys, I started getting recommended to people when I hit about 40, 50 viewers. And I would imagine that recommendation depends on the game. Uh, and it's proportional to, you know, I, fall guys was a game that on any given day, I had like two to 6,000 viewers total in the category. Whereas something like Fortnite will have hundreds of thousands of views in the category. And so you probably won't get recommended at 40 viewers. Uh, you'll probably need like a thousand or something. I don't know. Just pulling a number out of my butt. Um, but for smaller streamers who are not showing up in people's recommended tabs, it might hurt your discoverability because anybody who comes to your stream, if they get blasted by three minutes of ads, they're probably not going to stay. But in my opinion, three minutes of ads is kind of the golden number because if you don't run ads, if, if you don't force ads on your own stream, Twitch will force ads and they will be random and you can't control them. So running three minutes of ads an hour pretty much eliminates what are called pre and mid roll ads, which are pre roll or when you first access the stream, when you first load the page, there'll be an ad that's a pre roll. Mid roll is just randomly in the middle of the stream. They'll throw up a commercial. And it's just, I think that, you know, so I would, I would recommend for, for all the small streamers out there, like wondering what the hell's going on. I would say stick to three minutes an hour. I think for me, it's a magic number. You know, I can control when it happens. I can walk away from my stream and, and, and tell everybody when the ad break is coming and they don't have to get blindsided by it when they first open the stream, unless it's unlucky timing. Because at the end of the day, it is still 5% of my stream. So statistically speaking, you know, 5% of my viewers and any non-subbed viewers who are coming to the channel for the first time are going to get blindsided by an ad just because I have to play ads at some point. So I think the best method is to control ads, but it's a really interesting challenge for creators to overcome and it's not the most fun one. And as we move into more and more corporate corporatization, I guess, if that's a word, transformation of the streaming industry, this is probably going to become the norm. And people are, you know, like, oh, I'm jumping ship. I'm going to YouTube. It's like, I don't know, dude, ask a YouTuber how their career has been, you know, if they were around in the late 2000s, ask everybody what the adpocalypse was like. It's not, it's not a Google versus Amazon thing. It's a, it's a big company. They're pretty much act all the same. They can't care about every individual. You know, the people who make the decisions are looking at a spreadsheet and you are a number on the spreadsheet. So knowing that is important. Knowing that is, is one of the biggest tools because then you can psychologically steal yourself and realize that you just have to play by your rule, their rules to a point, but you can do, you have a, a decent amount of freedom within those rules. How do I structure my ads? You know, if this is going to be something that I have to do, how do I structure my ads? If you don't like it, stop watching, stop streaming. Don't whine on Twitch, you know, complain to everybody, hashtag save Twitch, hashtag Twitch do better. Sure. I mean, you know, if you want to pad your, pad your college 
application resume by saying you did a little bit of activism in your in your youth, go for it. But I don't think it's a very effective method. Most of the people making the actual decisions at Twitch and all these big companies, Amazon, YouTube, they are sitting there really far removed from the community and they're just looking at numbers on a spreadsheet and that's all you are. So knowing that means you don't owe them anything. You can swap to YouTube if you want. Swap to TikTok. Try and get a TikTok key. Swap to Facebook. Branch out. Try things. Go nuts. You know? But take control. Don't don't sit there and wait for Twitch to tell you what to do or YouTube to tell you what to do. Don't blindly follow up. You know, obviously stay within terms of service. Don't be dumb. But control your content the best you can. And it takes a lot of effort. A lot of people really, really got into streaming. It's the gold rush principle, man. It happens in every creative medium. People, you know, people originally get into streaming because it's fun and they think it's a cool idea. Turns out there's a huge demand for it and they start making a ton of money and then a, a billion other people, a large number of other people look at that and go, whoa, you can make money doing that? And they miss the whole point that these people were, you know, trailblazers and they came up with their own thing and they weren't doing it because they figured they were going to get rich off of it. The best example I have for this is I watch a streamer called ZFG. He's a Ocarina of Time speedrunner he speedruns the 100 category recently he's been doing a lot of randomizer to take a break from 100 and it turns out when he was a kid in like the aughts you know mid 2000s he was playing ocarina of time and just practicing glitches just doing glitches because he enjoyed it and he thought it was super super fun you know he and he was he was practicing these things and in online forums and all the things back in the day zeldaspeedruns.com back in the day you know was the god of 100% for a long time because he was pretty much the only person who knew all these glitches and was proficient enough to do them. And as a result, he was able to gain a large following out of this. And now he can sit there playing a 24-year-old Nintendo 64 game randomized to 3,000 people and be sponsored by CLG. You think he was sitting there in the mid-aughts being like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to do Door of Time Skip. This one's for my Ocarina of Time homies. I'm going to do Door of Time Skip so much that I'm going to get a, a, I'm gonna get rich off of this. No. He got really good at something that was really fun for him and it turned out to be popular. And the early adopters of basically anything, especially like entertainment stuff, the early people who get into this, music, cinema, they're doing it from a hobbyistic point. And then it gets corporatized. And then you get stuff like run-of-the-mill pop music or, you know, Transformers movies or whatever, where it's like, they're fine, they're bankable, they're safe, but nobody's doing it because they, they love it. Nobody's doing that because they want to. They're just doing it because they can make money doing it. And that's why you'll hear people complain that it feels soulless. And I think we're, you know, we've been at that point on Twitch for a while. You can see it everywhere. Everybody doing the same thing, got the same gamer chair, same ring light, same LED lit background, same blah, 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 blah. And this is not to, you know, I'm doing the same thing. You know, I'm sitting there, face cam, voice to a camera, talking over a video game. That's not enough because it's not unique and it's not exceptional. And I think that, if you want to be successful to a point on Twitch, obviously you don't need to be like sell your soul and become a massive drama farming YouTuber or whatever or a streamer, but you do need to be exceptional in some way because there are hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people streaming and everybody wants, everybody loves that pipe dream of like, holy shit, I could play video games for a living. And so you have to be exceptional. You have to stand out. Um, and most people don't. I don't right now. That's why my viewership dropped. You know, most of the people who are in my stream now, and I love you all very much. And I will, I cannot express the amount of appreciation I have for you supporting me, but they were introduced my, to my stream when I was doing something more exceptional. 
And as a result, you know, a lot of a lot of my subscribers, I would consider them friends because I've known them for years at this or over a year, year and a half, two years at this point. Some of them for longer. Some of them been around since the Rocket League days back in the days of yore. It's a tricky conversation to have because you don't want to make anybody feel unvaluable. But at the same time, people I don't think people are being honest enough with themselves. I think that's a, a major issue here. I, I don't know how I got to this point from ads, but I think if I turn on my stream and I take myself so seriously that I think sitting there talking over a video game and not really doing anything exceptional, you know, it's not like my personality is going to light anybody's pubes on fire. You know, it's, I'm, I, I like wordplay. I like trophy hunting. I like being good at what I do, but if I'm not doing anything exceptional, why would I be treated as though I am exceptional? The cream, the cream rises to a point. And of course, this is not, this is not like a, a hard and fast rule. Just because you're exceptional doesn't mean you're going to be successful, of course. And that's the frustrating part. And that's kind of the, the scary thing about, about entrepreneurial stuff. You can have the best business idea in the world, but if you don't execute it, or if, you know, you get unlucky, well, sucks to suck. And I think that's something that people didn't really think about when they signed on to the whole streaming thing is the fact that stability is, and the reason ad incentive program is popular right now is because it's lucrative and it's stable. I can guarantee that if I do this, I'm going to get this. Whereas for me, somebody who doesn't get 20K of ads offered to them a month, I can't guarantee my income for the next month at all, you know? And if I don't work, I don't get paid. And even if I do work, I, I you know, it's not, it's not one-to-one. I can't increase my streaming schedule. You know, I stream 150, 160 hours a month. I can't up that to 200 and expect that proportionally, my, my earnings to increase proportionally. It just doesn't make any sense. That's not how it works. But people want it to work like that. They want it to work so badly like that, that they're willing to just do mental gymnastics to assume it will. And I don't think it does. It definitely doesn't, you know, ask anybody who's been involved in streaming. It just doesn't work like that. And then what ends up happening is people will externalize the issue. 99% of the time, if you're not achieving the success you want, there is something you could be doing more. And most people don't want to do more. They want to be offered more money for what they are. And I I don't know. You can talk about valuing yourself all you want, but the free market is valuing you at a at a cold uh, cold yet accurate value. And you can argue that all you want, but you, unless you change, it's not going to change. I don't know. Anyway, I've rambled enough today. I'm sorry the last few weeks have been kind of downer topics with professional loneliness and stuff last week and now this week about how Twitch's culture is changing and what it means for creators and it and you know I kind of have a doom and gloom for the future approach to it. I'm going to keep streaming. I'm going to keep streaming until the platform becomes completely untenable for me and you know they start doing stuff like you know you have to show 45 minutes of ads an hour. I'm going to keep streaming because I love streaming and it's the best thing I can do but and you you'll see this echoed all over the place have an exit strategy. If you are a content creator, always have a backup plan. When I started this, you know, when I did my first full-time stint, I had savings, I had, you know, not guaranteed employment, but pretty reliable employment. I had, I had a headhunting agency, like, you know, a staffing agency or a contract agency temp work that I had a really good repertoire with, and I could look to them and they would be able to get me something, at least on the interim, that would provide me with money. You know, when I was in when I was in high school and I wanted to go into music, which I did end up doing for a year, I still took two maths and a science in my last year, just in case, just in the off chance music didn't pan out. If you bet it all on Twitch, man, it's it or bet it all on content creation, YouTube, whatever, it's that's really risky. 
And obviously you have to be somewhat non-risk averse if you want to do this as a job, as a full-time career, but it doesn't hurt to have a backup plan and everybody should have something where if you need it, you know, if you're, if you see, you know, if you see your savings start to drain, set a cutoff where you're like, okay, I'm not comfortable having this few savings anymore. You know, maybe I could go another month or two just on my savings without making any money on Twitch, but have a backup plan, start looking for a job, all that stuff. It's scary, but this is also, in my opinion, the coolest job in the world. It's so cool that I can meet people from all over the world and talk to them and hear their stories and make jokes with them and get to know them over video games. And it's, I love being able to help people. You know, a lot of the things I did in Fall Guys, I taught people or I like to teach people or, you know, show people cool strategies and help them get better at the game. You know, I've written, I, I wrote a guide for a platinum trophy I did somewhat recently and because I want to help people do that. And that's really fun for me. And the fact that I can do that and I have a community of people who are just awesome. <laughs> and I love hanging around them. And I love talking to them every day. I'm so lucky, man. You know, so I, I, I don't want to end this doom and gloom because obviously this is a, it, it's a worrying development, but there's so much that's so cool about streaming and content creation in general. And we've seen some incredible, you know, stuff come out of it. You know, whatever you like to watch on the internet, that's somebody doing that. There's a human on the other end of that making that. And that was their brainchild at some point. It's so cool, man. We live in such a cool time. And I actually recently, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk for a bit because, you know, whatever. It's my, it's my podcast. All right. Deal with it. Um, I recently, just today, realized that I spend too much time just on my phone on Twitter or Discord. So I, I locked them. You know, I get an hour a day of those two apps and, I, and then I locked them. Obviously, I have them on my PC as well. But if I'm on my PC, I'm more likely to do stuff, you know. I could sit there and, and rant to people about how Twitch's discoverability is awful and how they, you know, they treat their streamers so bad. And like, this is why people are moving to YouTube. Or I could refine my content and I could get better and I can practice piano and I can learn the two songs that my, my viewers have requested that I've, you know, I actually have been working on, working on the Sims one. Nord, I don't know if you're listening to this, but holy moly, dude, that song is bonkers. Uh, but I have been working on it slowly but surely. And that's what I'm going to spend a lot of the rest of the day doing, or at least some of the rest of the day. I could be browsing, <laughs> brainstorming ideas for skits. I could be filming skits. I could be trying anything. I had an idea for freaking doing like a, a machinima or something for an old game that I play that nobody knows. So I could just mute the audio and just talk over it, you know, m make my own thing because nobody would know because uh, nobody's played it. I, like there's so many different things you could do. And if you're not willing to do any of these and, you're, and you just want to sit there and blame somebody else, I don't think you're going to find very much success on the medium. Um, and I think that's the way it should be. Unpopular opinion. Keep the keep the cutoffs the same. Keep the algorithm, you know, whatever you want to do, Twitch. It's your website. We're all just living in it. I really wish they would, you know, do something that seems at least a little bit viewer uh, streamer friendly. But they are the dominant platform in the space. They don't have to compete at the moment. But we'll see. I think YouTube making gains is going to be huge for streamers. I think it's a, it's a good thing because when companies have to compete, it's always best for the consumer. And streamers at this point are consumers of services. So either way, let's not get too down about it. I know that some of you will be listening to this on Monday morning. It's not the end of the world. We will manage, we will get through it, or Twitch will die and something else will come along and replace it and be just as good, if not better. So don't worry too much about it. For all my streamers listening to this, have an exit strategy, always be working to improve yourself because if Twitch collapses, but you've got another type of content in your back pocket, guess what you can do? You can transition from a streaming career to a YouTube career or go stream somewhere else or 
you know, work on writing or work writing skits or work on music or work on whatever you want, man. Graphic design. There's all this crazy. I wish I could do graphic design. I'm just not very good with art of a visual variety. But anyway, I'm done for the day. Thank you all. I hope you have a great Sunday night slash Monday morning slash whenever you're listening to this. This is Spark City signing off of the City Speaks. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, hopefully a few more fun topics. Let's try. I'm going to try and make it a fun one next week. Love you all very much. Take it easy. Stay safe.